and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Tomorrow is the official start of fall for the Northern Hemisphere. Fall is my absolutely favorite time of year. I love seeing the colors of the leaves change on the trees, uh, sweater weather, and cooking with pumpkins and apples. Speaking of fall, on today's show, our staff is sharing trends, techniques, fabric, and products they're falling for. <laughs> but all puns aside, now that the weather is getting cooler and we're spending more time inside our sewing rooms, we wanted to share some things we're obsessed with right now. After hearing what our staff had to share, there are a few things I'm definitely interested in trying. We hope you find something you're excited to add to your quilting life too. We also chat with Christian Henry from The Featherweight Shop. He shares about the history of the iconic featherweight, as well as tips for buying and maintaining these beautiful machines. So let's dive in. Let's start by talking about our current obsessions. I'll go first. I've always loved binding, it's one of my favorite parts of the process, but I never put tons of thought into the color or print of the binding. I always just went with a fabric that matched the quilt, um, usually one that had a smaller scale design so that the print didn't get lost, and more often than not, I went with a black or brown binding to really frame the quilt nicely. But recently, I've been very inspired to also get creative with my binding. I take such care with the creative process and all the other steps of quilting, so I want to start showing my personality and my vision for a design in the binding too. Pieced binding is a really fun way to add an extra design element or even more color to your finished quilt. Lately, I've been making a lot of scrappy quilts, so I've saved all my leftover fabric to piece into a scrappy binding. I think it's so fun to see the edge of the quilt also showcase that scrappy look, and it helps me use up fabric so that my scrap pile doesn't continue to get bigger and bigger. I also recently made a quilt that was a solid background with a rainbow design. Like a rainbow, the blocks curved across the quilt and touched the edge of the quilt where the rainbow began and ended. So I pieced the binding with the same color solid as the background, but I also pieced the rainbow design into the binding where the blocks met the edge of the quilt. So I ended up with this unique look to the quilt where the center looked like it was floating and the rainbow extended to the very edge of the quilt with like no frame. It took some careful piecing and a lot of pinning, but I think that really made the entire quilt. So I'm really excited to try more of these creative piecing and binding techniques to really enhance my quilts. 
Hi, I'm Beth, and I'm the Sales Promotion Manager at American Patchwork and Quilting. I've been working on a lot of different projects right now, and I'm absolutely loving my edge joining foot. The edge joining foot has a guide in the center, so you can adjust your needle to either the left or right side to get your stitch right where you want it. It's perfect for top stitching. I've been making a lot of cloth napkins and cloth face masks right now, and it's so helpful for getting a consistent stitch. And if you don't like to hand sew your binding, this foot works great for machine sewing binding. You can get the stitching super close to the edge of your binding as you sew with the center guide. Another great use is piecing batting together if your piece is too small. You can butt the edges of two of the same types of batting on either side of the guide and zigzag stitch them together. You can search join batting on allpeoplequilt.com for a video demonstration of this technique. It's such a versatile foot, and it's one of my go-to sewing machine accessories right now. I'm Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine. I've been having fun experimenting with ice dyeing fabric. It's a technique that's kind of similar to tie-dye. But for this technique, you pre-wash your fabric, then you soak it in a solution of water and soda ash. Then you take it out, squeeze out all the excess water, and then you scrunch it over a drying rack that's been placed over a plastic tub. Next, you add ice to cover the fabric, and then you sprinkle Procyon MX powder dyes over the ice. Now, the next part is the hardest. That's where you have to wait 24 hours for the ice to melt and the dye to sink into the fabrics. So far, I've dyed 100% cotton fabrics for quilts. I've also done some canvas to make artwork and some tote bags. The most fun probably has been the several sets of t-shirts and matching socks that I've done. I love playing with different color combinations. And if you want to see more, you can look up my Instagram account at SewMoreQuiltsMom. Have fun! Hi, my name is Joanna, and I'm the editor of Quilts More magazine. Right now, I'm loving knit fabrics, which is a type of fabric I don't usually get to play around with. I've thought about learning to sew garments for a while now, but I always talk myself out of it and stuck with quilts, pillows, and table runners, mostly flat objects that don't require shaping or fitting. To be honest, the idea of sewing my own clothing terrified me. Because what if I put in all that time, money, and effort into making clothes, and then it didn't fit right? The garment sewing bug didn't hit me all at once, but the last few times I went to International Quilt Market, I was blown away by some of the fun types of fabric that were being showcased. Of course, I still adore quilting cottons, but suddenly fabrics like rayon florals, soft canvas prints, and breezy double gauzes kept catching my eye. I would look at the embrace collections from Shannon Fabric and imagine the pretty blouses they could make. Or I would admire the fun canvas prints that were being turned into shorts at the Figo Fabrics booth. The idea of making clothes appealed to me because I could pick any print or color combination I liked and alter a pattern to fit my own body type. Something that's inconceivable when you're buying pre-made fabric. Plus I'm short, so the idea of a pattern that's the right length to begin with was very appealing. Since I've been spending more time at home because of the pandemic, I finally gave in and purchased some super soft knit fabric in a pretty shade of pink that was on sale at my local craft supply store, as well as a couple of sundress patterns, which were also on sale. I, fi I figure it's a way to dip my toes into garment sewing without a large commitment up front. It feels good to face my fears 
and I keep reminding myself that if it doesn't work out quite like I like, I can always rip out the seams and try again. I'm learning so much about sewing with knits, and I'm getting better at things like pinning more than normal and switching out my sewing machine needles depending on the type of fabric I'm working with. I don't really have anything to show for my efforts right now, at least nothing to show except for a happy mess in my sewing studio, but I'm getting there. If nothing else, it gives me an excuse to play with even more fabric and grow my stash. So if you're scared of garment sewing and knits and other types of fabric besides quilting cottons, I would encourage you to face your fears. You might like what you find out. Hi, I'm Allison, the designer of Quilts and More, and I'm currently loving scrappy quilts. If you asked me a few years ago, I probably wouldn't have had the same thoughts. I used to love the look of very curated selections of fabrics, and I still do, but lately I've been loving the interest that a mix of fabrics adds to the overall look of a quilt. When talking scrappy quilts, I still keep my color palette very specific, but play around with different prints within those colors. During this pandemic, I've only ventured out to my local quilt shop once, and that was to stock up on thread. And since I haven't done any fabric shopping in person, I've been trying to work with fabric in my stash. Plus, I'm basically just making room for new fabric once I can go shopping again, which is an added bonus. Once I decide that I'm going to make a scrappy quilt, I think about the colors I want to use. All of my fabrics are organized by color, so this makes it easy to find what I'm looking for. I pull out the bins of colors I'm planning to use and just start playing around with how different prints look together. This can take quite a bit of time since there are so many factors that come into play when choosing the right scale and style of fabric. I don't really have a set of rules that I follow when mixing prints, I just usually tend to go with my gut. That being said, I do have a couple of tricks that I like to use to make sure that my finished quilt is more interesting. First, I make sure I have some variety of scale in my prints. I love having things like solids and grunge included in my fabric pulls, but those are pretty basic fabrics. So I like to add in things like polka dots, stripes, geometric prints, maybe even some florals with varying density in the pattern design. I try to have a range of what I call plain fabrics and busy fabrics and everything in between. The more variety in the prints, the more visual interest and texture you'll get in your finished quilt. Second, I try to pull different values in a particular color. For example, if I'm sorting through my bin of pink fabrics, I might pull a coral color, something with a bit more magenta, and a bubblegum pink. I'm still working within the same overall palette, but having slight variation within each color just adds interest. Though having too much variation can sometimes affect how well the overall pattern reads, so I try to keep the colors still somewhat similar. I've made a handful of scrappy quilts this year, and I love each and every one. It's been a great way to play with my stash and, like I said, clear up room for more new fabrics. Plus, it's fun to look at the completed quilts and see all of the different prints that went into the finished product. As I sit at my home computer right next to my fabric storage, I just want to start playing around with fabric and make something new. I encourage you to do the same. You might just fall in love with scrappy quilts if you haven't already. I loved hearing all these obsessions from our staff. We hope you enjoyed hearing about them and are inspired to find something in your quilting life that you're obsessed with too. 
Hang tight. We're going to take a quick ad break. But when we come back, we're talking to Christian Henry from The Featherweight Shop. Hey, folks, it's Hunter Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Food & Wine. This fall, we're launching the new Food & Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living Travel and Leisure, and we want to see you there. This incredible three-day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at Food & Wine, Southern Living, and Travel and Leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston. And we're back. Now I'm handing it over to Elizabeth Stumbo, the art director of American Patchwork and Quilting, for her interview with Christian Henry of the Featherweight Shop. If you are a fan of history and want to learn more about these beloved machines, you'll enjoy this chat. Take it away, Elizabeth. So I want to welcome Christian Henry from the Featherweight Shop to our podcast. Christian, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am so excited to be talking to you today about one of my favorite quilting topics, uh, vintage featherweight sewing machines. They hold a special place in my heart, so I'm excited to be talking with you today. Um, You seem like you're quite the expert in featherweights. Oh, thank you. So um, for any of our listeners who might not be familiar with featherweights, could you just start us out with a brief history? Sure, sure. The featherweight was um, first started being produced in 1933 by Singer. Um, that was when the first batch of featherweights was, was commissioned in 1933. And it was revolutionary because of um, it's the composition of the machine. It was made of cast aluminum. Whereas pretty much everything else at that point in time, every other sewing machine was cast steel. So because okay. it was cast aluminum, it was um, 10, 15, even 25 pounds heavier or lighter than, the, um, than most other sewing machines at the time. So it was very portable, but also very capable and it sewed a perfect stitch. So that's wow. why it um, was so popular right away. Um, and Singer, I think, knew it was going to be going to be quite the hit. Um, it peaked in its production in the late 1940s, and um, but it had a long, a long run, a long life. It started in 33 and then went into late 1969, oh, 1970. Wow, that's longer than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it did have a, a good long life, and then at that point in time, Singer was having difficulty competing with. Um, the prices of the machines that were coming out of uh, Asia. And so they're, um, even though the machines were better quality, it uh, sacrifices had to be made at that point in time. So. Sure. So were they always called featherweights from the very beginning? Um, they're, the featherweight wasn't necessarily an official name from Singer. It was the 221. Mm-hmm. But um, it was it was a nickname and one that Singer used. So, I mean, I've seen, um, at, and it would have been used in like advertising. 
So I have seen that advertising featuring the featherweight name in the, in the 1930s. So it has, yes, it pretty much as seems to have always been referred to as a featherweight. So that's Mm -hmm. neat. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I had no idea they were that much lighter than what was currently um, in, you know, for sale in the industry at that time. So that's amazing. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, It was pretty neat. So, well, I am a fourth generation quilter myself and everyone in my family sews on featherweights. So um, when we get together, you know, and I look across the room, there's eight or nine of us all sitting there sewing away on our Singer featherweights. And um, we just love them. We love working on them on, at home. And we especially yeah. love them when we take them on our family quilt retreats together. So we we are definitely a family of featherweight lovers. So um, That's awesome. Just, there's there's really something about seeing so many of them lined up on a table like that or whatever. It's, it's pretty yeah. neat. That's special. Yeah, we've taken group photos with our featherweights. Like, it's just, it's great. So, but yeah, I think like my sister and I started using them when we were in our 20s and, you know, all the way up into, up to my, my grandmother, who's like, you know, in her 80s and her, and my great aunt. Uh-huh. So it's really just like wow. multi-generational. It's really great. Yeah. But, but I was just wondering, in your opinion, what, what is it about featherweights that just makes them so endearing to quilters and makes them still relevant and beloved to this day? Well, I think the featherweight um, has a lot of things going for it as far as desirability. It's, I mean, it's even lighter than a lot of the machines now. Mm-hmm. And with its little case, it's so portable. So um, in the quilting world, they're taking them to retreats and meetings and sewing with friends. So it's really the portability of it has remained um, popular and a, um, something to be desired. And then they're they're so cute. Every time somebody sees one, they, they often think it's a toy. But then somebody who uses it realizes that um, it's simple, but it sews a perfect a perfect stitch. It doesn't do anything creative, but it does it does what needs to be done, especially with piecing, goes forwards and backwards, and uh, very reliable. Yeah, that's what I think we love about them too. Is yeah, the reliability. Yep. Um, and I I love that people are painting them fun colors and yeah i'd love to get your opinion on that what do you think about people painting and refurbishing featherweights the painting the painting can be great especially because it takes machines that um, would otherwise be um not too desired or even unused to something that's more of a prized possession so i think it can be a great thing for sure yeah, I've I've seen them in bright, fun colors, and I've even seen them with like yeah. polka polka dots and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I love that yep. they kind of can uh, show the personality of the owner a little bit too. So yeah, totally. someday I would love to own an aqua colored one. That would be really great. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a pretty color. Yeah, it would be neat on a featherweight. Yep. Well, I. Now that we've kind of talked about the history of featherweights, I'd love to know more about the history of the featherweight shop, your guys' company. Um, can you tell us a little bit of how, about how the business started and your role in the business? Sure. So we started in 2005, and um, mom had a, a thing for vintage, um, vintage items and antiques, and she wanted a featherweight um for herself so eventually she was able to find one and 
Um, then she would find more, and dad had dad was a mortician at the time, but she would bring him home and say, "I think you could fix this up, and um, then we could sell it." So, mm-hmm. my mom also had a thing for photography and um, and marketing. So, the um, business kind of started there with dad being able to work on the machines and the other singer attachments. And then um, mom would photograph them, test them. That was a big thing. Mom um, tested and sewed really cute samples for each one, all Mm -hmm. the, all the cozy attachments that singer made. Mm -hmm. And um, it started basically with that in 2005. And then um, as the years went on and the business grew, then we started producing tutorials, which really helped the featherweight owner to maintain their machine and um, troubleshoot when problems arise. Um, So my role is um, when we started, I was just five. So (laughs) I I didn't, I I don't have much memory. Yeah. You really grew up in the business then. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Before it, it was pretty much, there when I can start remembering. So, so yeah, it's, it's always been around, but, um, when I first started participating in the business, I was probably like 13 at the time was when I first serviced and worked on my own featherweight. And, um, now my role is one of a little bit of everything. Really. I, um, buy product and machines and um also like plan events um i write blog posts help with the tutorials sometimes even participate in the video tutorials and then um uh, work on the website and add products take photos myself as well and so my my role is really one of um, i kind of do stuff in almost every department, you would say. Yeah. But um, it just started with the, just the family, up, and we hired our first um, employee in, I think it was 2015. Mm-hmm. And now the business itself is not in the house anymore, so that's nice. And mm-hmm. But we have a much more convenient facility, and um, it's good for the employees, and it helps the business to... Um, grow and expand and um, keep things running in order, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's awesome that it started with, you know, just a love for all things vintage, became right, really a, sure. a family business. And then you guys, it, yep. would you say you're mostly all self-taught then um, in like how to fix and maintain them? And because um, no, you... not necessarily self-taught actually, dad. Um, uh, and a lot of it, a lot of it, I guess is, but, um, when dad first started, Dave McCallum, who is, who since retired was, um, in the Pacific Northwest, he worked and serviced in featherweights and taught classes as well. So dad taught one of his classes or dad took one of his classes. And so that was how dad, um, sort of got started in, um, servicing and some knowledge and then um, in 2016, both dad and I went to Missouri to take um, a class from Ray White, who teaches 
sewing machine maintenance and repair on all sewing machines, not just the featherweight. So that was really great knowledge to have as well. But when you've been in the business so long, so many different oddities of problems and things that need fixed come up. So a lot of it is learning as you go, but, um, and that there's a still trial things and error. you come across. Yep. There's still things you come across that you've never seen before. So it, it keeps yeah. it interesting for sure. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Well, um, and you guys since then have, you know, you started with tutorials, you said, and really education. Mm -hmm. Also you've now have a lot of really amazing products and tools for sale. Um, could you right. maybe tell us a little bit about some of the most popular products and tools that you guys sell on your shop? Yeah, yeah. The most popular ones are um, more are the more like utilitarian uh, items. Some for servicing, and then some for use as well. Like the grease that we sell to maintain the um, the motor. That one is a really popular item, and that's on more of the maintenance side. And then you've got um, the feet, the quarter inch feet. Singer didn't. Um, mm -hmm. Quilting wasn't really a thing when the featherweight um, came out, so yeah. there wasn't there weren't all these different quarter inch feet. So quarter inch feet for the featherweight are really popular. We sell a seam guide that an acrylic seam guide that goes onto the machine. That one's really really popular. And then one of our newest ones that um, really helps with sewing is the thread post. It goes on the regular spool pin of the featherweight. And when the featherweight came out and pretty much through all its production, just stack wound regular small spools was um, what everybody used for thread. But now there's the larger cross wound thread spools, which are generally where the highest quality thread is coming from mm -hmm. or where it's the type of spool that it's wound on and the way it's wound is that cross wound style. So the thread, the regular spool pin on the featherweight wasn't, uh, designed to accommodate those types of spools. They weren't around at the time. So the thread post goes on the spool pin and then the thread post is horizontal like most um, new machines that use the crosswound thread spool. So now you can use the thread, the orifil thread, the, the crosswound ones, the most common for sure. They just slip right on that thread post horizontally and then it's going to feed off the spool like it like it the spool is designed hmm. well i might have to invest in one of those thread posts then because um i feel like that's kind of a something in my family we're always trying to find like the the perfect thread for our featherweights and i know we've right. like, discovered some that don't work as well and then some that do yeah. so but maybe that's just right. the solution we were looking for <laughs> so. yes yes there's there's definitely usually things that can accommodate changes in in the thread um, some featherweights uh, are, some people say that they uh, only like certain types of thread, but oftentimes there's things that can be adjusted or um, modifications, I guess, that can be made like the thread post to allow um, a wider variety of threads. So. Yeah, I love that you guys are finding those solutions to you know, problems that we have now working with vintage machines, but adapting right. them and coming up with solutions for the, you know, products that we are using and loving uh, today. So that's yes. awesome. Yes. Yeah. Do you get yeah. a lot of like, you know, read, um, 
fan and uh, lovers of your of your shop suggesting new products and tools for you guys? We have like, quite a few, actually. Yeah. Yeah, like requesting, like, "Hey, I have this problem. Can you guys come up with something to help me?" Yeah, yeah, actually, um, that's um, necessity is the mother of all invention, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. We, that yeah. does happen. Yeah, that's great. So, for any of our listeners that might be interested in purchasing a featherweight of their own, do you have any, you know, ideas on where to send them to? Maybe some tips for how to search for them or what they could be looking for when they're looking to purchase the featherweight? Sure. I have a couple of blog posts that I wrote on the website talking about what to look for when buying a featherweight and um, differences between featherweights. You know, that's a common question is what is one featherweight really better than the other? Mm-hmm. And the older ones are, were used um, likely more. So, that actually can be a plus because they're often just um, they're pretty smooth just because they've been, they've been used more likely and um, everything is well, uh, well lubricated and well broken. So they can often be quiet and smooth, but um, the newer ones can are often in better condition. So uh, there's that to look for. One thing um, that can get people, upset or disappointed when they get a featherweight is things missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to make sure that the original bobbin case is, um, is with the machine when you're purchasing one, because those are, those are definitely expensive just because they, it's a uh, quality replacement has taken so long to, to get and um, supply is limited, especially with singer not making um, basically OEM Arts for like that anymore. Yeah, so right. make sure that the original bobbin case is there and um, put controller as well. Just make sure it's complete is uh, what I would recommend. All the parts and pieces are there. That's that's good at mm-hmm. When I think I bought mine off of um, eBay and I knew when uh-huh. I bought it that it didn't have a bobbin in it. And I was like, oh, okay. that's not going to be, you know, or uh yeah, and I didn't think that would be such a big problem, but it ended up sure. being quite a journey to find the right piece. So, yeah, yeah, it's really important. <laughs> so, yep, yep, great. Um, all right. So, for those of us that already own a featherweight, do you have any advice for machine care or maintenance to keep our machines performing, performing, and just kind of maybe even looking their best? Sure. Um, Featherweight maintenance is not um, difficult. Routine maintenance is not difficult at all. Um, so I would encourage encourage everybody to keep maintaining their featherweight, even on their own. Don't wait um, a long time to uh, send it to the serviceman like you maybe would with another machine. Um, so oil and grease the featherweight on a regular basis. There are certain interval intervals, some things need grease every six months, some things need oiled almost every time you sew. So oil and grease regularly, but not too much. The featherweight can only take much. Any excess is pretty much just going to sit in the bottom of the machine. Okay. So don't oil too much, but do oil on a regular basis, oil and grease on a regular basis. And then um, for cosmetic uh, care of the machine, we do carry a, a Zymol carbon 
wax and then a cleaner as well that goes on first. And it's, it's a car product basically, but it's been put in smaller bottles for the featherweight size. And you first you clean the machine so you get all the grime and everything off. And then you put that carbon wax on there. And that's going to maintain a sort of protective finish over the decals and the painted surface. And it's going to be smooth as well so that when you your fabric goes across, it's going to slide nicely, but it's going to protect the decals and painted surface as well. Nice. Okay. I love that. Um, do you have blog posts on that on your website as well? Uh-huh. Yep. And a okay. video tutorial, I think, too. Great. Okay. We'll see if we can add those to our show notes so our reader, our listeners can click on those. That'll be good for them to check out more details on. So that's awesome. Um, so I was just wondering, do you own, um, do you have a personal favorite uh, featherweight that you own or one that, you know, maybe is more rare or has maybe just sentimental attachment to it? Yeah. Yeah. One of my, maybe my favorite thing about the featherweight and singer in particular is the, the collectible side of all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, there were all, there were special badged featherweights or which are really rare. And there's all these just little changes that singer made to the featherweight. And so that whole, history side of things makes it really fun for me. I really, really enjoy that. So one thing that's common that people do is they try to find a featherweight that's the same. Um, that was produced in the same year they were born, whether that be 1951 or whatever, mm -hmm. but I was born in 1999. So, but, um, I did find a batch of featherweights that was commissioned on my birthday, which was Christmas Eve. Oh, so, cool. but it was a very small allotment. It was the second run of featherweights that were produced um, in the UK. So it was just 500 featherweights were made out of the total two and something million. There was just 500 made in that um, commissioned on that uh, Christmas Eve in 1947. So it took me a long time, but I did find one of those featherweights eventually. So I do have that featherweight. That's my personal one. And that I guess you would say holds a special place in my heart. Yeah. Um, is there a difference between the ones that were manufactured in the UK versus the US? There are, but it's generally subtle changes or differences. Um, the main thing is that the ones that were made and sold um, in Europe and the UK, most all the time are going to have a 220 volt motor on them. So if you were getting one from over there, you would have to either use a converter or have the motor switched out to 110. Um, okay. But some everything else is really um, is just little changes. The one totally different thing about featherweights in the UK that were produced in uh, Scotland is that they made a two two two, which is the free arm version of the two two one. So that one is definitely a um, a different machine, but it looks from. 20 feet away, you probably couldn't tell the difference, but when you get up close, it has just such a small free arm, the bed slides off and there's that tiny free arm and then it can drop the feed dogs for free motion embroidery and darning oh, wow. as well. So yeah, the 222, which was produced in the UK, wasn't sold here in the US, but it was sold some in Canada, but mainly um, Europe, UK and Australia. So hmm. oh, that one is, um, is different than what we have in the US, you could say. So. Okay, great. 
Well, just to wrap things up, um, I'd love to hear what you are most excited about for the future of the Featherweight Shop. Do you have any new products launching or any fun announcements that you can share with us? Um, let's see. Yeah, we do have one product that um, we we just came out with, a couple actually. There was one thing that um, is pretty common with the Featherweight is um, our thread jams. As soon as you turn the hand wheel um, the wrong direction, usually like when you're pulling the fabric out, if you turn the hand wheel away from you instead of towards you, then it drops that thread behind the hook assembly or behind the bobbin case area, and then it just jams the machine up almost right away. And it can be really difficult to get them get that thread back out of there with all the little tiny screws and everything. So we did come up with um, a a tool that slides on the end of the bobbin case base and with the needle plate off you can rotate that and it will pretty much just get that thread um, get the machine going again and get that thread moved out of um, the spot where it's locking up the machine so that has made getting those thread jams out of there really really simple and then another one that we um, just released I think this this month or last was the um, was a tool to um, properly set the height of the presser foot. Sometimes if it's been adjusted, um, it can cause the fabric to either not feed correctly or sort of not feed straight. It will turn as it is the fabric is going through the machine. So that can be real, that can cause some headache, but um, often the height of the foot and the alignment of the foot needs, um, needs checked and adjusted. So we have a a tool to do that as well. So those are uh, just a couple new uh, products that we have. So we're excited about those. Yeah, those sound great. I'll have to take a look um, for those, and it sounds like maybe those could solve some of my issues, also. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes life easier for sure. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being our guest on our podcast today. I know that I've certainly learned a lot, and I know our listeners will as well. So um, thank you oh, for good. sharing. I'm glad. Yeah, thanks for sharing your passion and just your um, knowledge for Singer Featherweight. And I really, yeah. really enjoyed our conversation. Thank yeah. you. Me too. Yeah. So for all of our listeners, be sure to check out the Featherweight Shop's website for more information. And then we'll be sure to include a link to their website and online shop in our show notes. They have a ton of resources and tutorials available. And of course, helpful products, accessories, and amazing gifts for all of the quilters in your life. Hey, it's Lindsay. I just loved Elizabeth's chat with Christian. I think you can tell how passionate both of them are about these machines. Christian mentioned a lot of blog posts, videos, and products in the interview, so we'll make sure to link to them in our show notes so that you can learn more about caring for your featherweight and do a little shopping as well. Before we leave today, I wanted to share a fun opportunity for all of our podcast listeners. In the middle of October, we're doing a podcast show about which quilting rules you're allowed to break. We'd love to hear quilting rules you never follow, whether it's serious or a little tongue-in-cheek, so that we can share it on the podcast. So if you'd like to share, please call and leave us a voicemail at 515 257 6870. 
You can also email us your story or a voice memo at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Have a great week. all and thanks for listening keep in touch american patchwork and quilting is on facebook pinterest and instagram at all people quilt email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast and if you love the american patchwork and quilting podcast please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps other quilters find us Have a creative week.